T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. The end of the legislative session in Springfield is just days away, and an agreement on a budget remains elusive. So it's even less likely that there will be any real movement on a long-term education funding agreement. But our guests are calling for one sooner rather than later. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. Here's a case where everyone, regardless of party or geographic location, agrees that there's a problem that must be fixed. But for decades, there has not been an agreement on creating a more equitable system for funding public schools across the state. Children in rich districts get the most money for their school children, and students in the poorest school districts have outdated books and teachers who often go into their own pockets to provide everyday expenses or supplies, I should say. The problem is that school funding is mostly based on the property tax. Higher-priced homes generate more property tax revenue than less affluent areas. This is a problem statewide in rural and urban areas, so... Of course, the answer is just shift more money to the poorer districts, right? Well, it's not that easy and not necessarily that fair. So this week, we're going to talk about how to make sure your schools are getting the right amount of education dollars without letting poor children elsewhere suffer. Our guests this week are all affiliated with the group Advance Illinois. That's an independent organization promoting a healthy education system that prepares all students for success. Now, that's the kind of mission statement that's broad enough that no one can argue with it, but we have three educators who are here to keep it real for us. Um, Carmen Ayala is superintendent of Berwyn North School District nine, uh, 98. Dr. Ayala recently testified before the Illinois House Education Task Force about funding schools, and in fact, a couple of bills are moving through the legislature right now. Kelly King is a uh, kindergarten through eighth grade teacher and an instructional technology specialist in Riverside School District 96. Maybe later she'll tell us what an instructional technology specialist does. Uh, She's also a Teach Plus Illinois teaching policy fellow. Uh, Ashley McCall is a third grade bilingual teacher at Cesar Chavez Elementary School in Chicago. She's also uh, a Teach Plus Illinois teaching policy fellow, and maybe we'll find out what that is later, too. She's also a community organizer with Illinois for, for educational equality. And, you know, some community organizers have done pretty well from this area, so uh, we, should, uh, we should always respect them. Uh, thank you all for coming. Um, uh, Superintendent uh, Carmen Ayala, let's start us off with a look at the problem that the school districts are facing. Uh, for example, how adequate is school funding in Berwyn, and how does your suburban system's challenges compare with, uh, say, Chicago or downstate? First of all, school funding in Illinois is absolutely inadequate and inequitable. We have school districts that have plentiful resources to have the most up-to-date technology, up-to-date resources, incredible professional development. 
And then we have those school districts that are in the process right now of developing their budgets for next year and have to make cuts because they don't have enough funding to be able to support even the minimum that we should be able to provide to our students. And so there's a very wide continuum of how much resource a particular child receives or does not receive in public schools in Illinois. And unfortunately, it is our most neediest children, our most at-risk students um, that suffer this inequitable funding because they're simply not getting the resources that they need to be able to show that they have capacity and they have potential and they can learn. And that's what's disheartening about public school funding in Illinois right now. Now, in, in, in Berwyn, uh, where, where do you fall in that continuum? In Berwyn, um, as I mentioned, lots of school districts are currently engaged in their budget development for next year. And I'm having to make some really tough decisions about class size. Um, we can no longer be continue to afford the number of teachers that we need because our revenue is not keeping up in pace with our expenditures. And so we're having to make those tough decisions on increasing class sizes. And so that's something that will impact instruction in the long run when you have more children in a classroom. You know, the teacher's attention and the instructional focus is widened and is stretched out more, and so children don't get what they truly need. Mm. Uh, Kelly King, uh, talk about what it's like to operate in a funding system like this uh, in Riverside. Sure. So um, my teaching background is a little bit diverse. I grew up in the Naperville School District, so attended very well-funded schools. Which Naperville School District, though? Uh, Naperville School District 203. Oh, okay. So very well-funded, a lot of ample resources. I had a very innovative education, a lot of project-based learning. I don't remember doing worksheets as a student. Um, And most of my teaching career before I came to Riverside was in Justice and Bridgeview, and which is less adequately funded. And when I became a classroom teacher, I was trying to implement innovative teaching strategies in my classroom. And I remember a specific project I did as a fifth grade student with Lego Connect Cars. It was a science and technology, engineering and math type of program, which is becoming more and more popular in the schools, the STEM fields. And um, I wanted to implement something like that for my own fifth graders, but there were none of those resources available because of the lack of funding. And so I was able to write a grant and get that type of project. But again, teachers having to go out and find those grants, write those grants and get them. Um, Now I'm currently in Riverside, which has great funding and we have ample technology one-to-one for all of our students and um, the resources are there and the learning opportunities are there. So it's just interesting to see the disparity between attending a well-funded school and then working in a less well-funded school and now being um, an instructional technology specialist in a well-funded district as well. Ashley McCall, um, you know, we always hear that things are tougher in Chicago. Uh, Certainly Chicago makes all the headlines. Uh, Are the challenges greater for you at uh, Cesar Chavez? Um, I think what's most important in what Dr. Ayala said is that this is an issue that's really affecting all students in Illinois. So I've taught at both schools in Chicago public schools. I've also taught a public charter in Chicago. 
Um, and I have colleagues who teach downstate, colleagues who teach around the state who are suffering, whose students are suffering just as much as students in Chicago because they're not receiving the funds. So Kelly made a point about grant funded projects. I've had to go and, and, and apply for grants to get the books that my students need. In my very first year of instruction, our textbooks were so outdated that I was having to again go online to find materials or write grants or apply for um, or create GoFundMes to get all of the most basic resources for my students. And that's not something that's unique to Chicago. Does Chicago have a lot of students who are in um, lower income neighborhoods who aren't in affluent situations? Yes, but that's not something that's unique to Chicago. And I think the reason that we are all here from such different backgrounds is because we realize the importance of funding equity right now for all of these students. My students will benefit and so will so many students from around the state. I, I, I find it kind of fascinating that teachers who, I mean, you're taught to teach children and one of those skills now has to be how to find money. That, that doesn't sound like something you want teachers to have to spend their time doing. And And I gather Illinois is not an average state when it comes to funding education it, it it's it's close to the bottom if not at the bottom uh, dr ayala it is it is totally at the bottom in terms of how much it spends um it approximately spends 81 cents per low-income child as comparison to other states and, and other districts across the state but um it is the worst um to put it in very <laughs> frank terms it is the worst when it comes to um providing resources for schools and public education. Um, and would I be wrong in thinking that quite the opposite of what the situation is in Illinois, it takes more money to teach students who are in the, the poorer districts. Uh, what, what um, Kelly, you've, you've taught, you've taught in poorer districts. Sure. So to educate a student from a low income background, sometimes that student will require additional supports. They might need to um, see an ELL teacher or there might need to be social workers or counselors to work with some of those students who face some of the issues of growing up in poverty. And I think, again, to highlight Ashley's point, that's something that students in poverty face across the state. This is not just in Chicago, but all over. Um, our poorest students need our best teachers and our um best resources. And I just think at this point, we're not giving it to them. Hmm. Um, and, you know, if we get into the uh, downstate part of Illinois, uh, I would think that the resources are even less for the poorer districts. Uh, you know, we've, I know one of the, one of the candidates or Democratic candidates for governor is a, is a district superintendent in downstate and talks a lot about the, the, the funding. Uh, you would think that um, people would be talking more about solutions than they than they are. How does this slip by parents? Why aren't parents up in arms? Um, Ashley? Oh, that's, that's a tough question. So I am not a parent, um, but I know that parents want the best for their kids. All parents want the best for their kids. And no matter the economic situation, no matter any sort of home stress, every family I've ever worked with is, is trying to do the best for, for their families. But 
there are so many extenuating circumstances that impede a, a parent's ability to to get involved, whatever that looks like, whether it's, you know, showing up at report card pickup, helping out with homework, knowing what bills are, you know, on the table that can make a difference in terms of the number or not the number, but the amount of funding that's coming into to a given district. Um, parents and families like they they are frustrated and they want more for their children. Um, I think there are organizations like Advance, like like Teach Plus that are are empowering teachers to to collaborate with families to I mean, teach them more about what it is that they can be doing. Uh, I think teachers and superintendents and principals have been waving flags and shouting for some time. But um, I do think the more the more voices we have like, like advocating for this issue, the better. I don't at all think it's an issue of families not wanting more. I think that the folks that have the power to make the change right now like need to make that change. And we shouldn't be waiting for more families to to scream a little bit louder than they're screaming. I think it's also um, important that, again, we don't make this like these parents are better equipped or these parents have more. And this bill is a bill that helps all schools. Like no money is going to be taken away from schools. And at to your point, the students that need it the most will receive, will start to receive more. And that's something that I think all families should be on board with because all families want their kids to be successful. One of the shifts that's occurring in public school in Illinois for the first time in its demographic history, the minority population is now the majority population. The low income population is now, we're having uh, census data on low income numbers in places that didn't experience low-income at-risk students. Um, the English learning population across the Illinois is growing at a very rapid speed. And so many of the families are very much concerned with the education of their students because they recognize and value that it is the key that is going to lead their child to a better life. Um, but unfortunately, they are they have two, three jobs. They're worried about putting food on the table, a roof over the head, and making sure their children are getting to school on a daily basis. And so there are different challenges today that we face in public education that we haven't faced at other times. And I think that those are thinking shifts that have to be made with respect to the school population that we serve today. Um, I do want to uh, get to some of the ideas for resolving this, uh, and one of them is what has been uh, called evidence-based modeling. That is, a, mm -hmm. and uh, the, I keep seeing the the, the letters EMB or, or EBM, I should say, around uh, a lot. But uh, that's evidence-based modeling. That sounds like another one of those universal phrases that uh, <laughs> that can't be argued with. But what does it really mean in practical terms? Well, evidence-based modeling really takes a look at students' needs. And it really takes a look at um, the local ability to pay as well as the state's obligation to pay. Um, there's a saying that we hear very often that says, equal is not equitable. So just providing everyone the same exact education really doesn't meet the needs of all of the children that we serve because our children don't come as in nice, neat little packages of 25 per classroom or whatever the number may be. We have many children who are at risk. We have children who don't speak English. We have children with special needs. We have 
children with just there's a lot more diversity in our classrooms today and so the strategies the interventions the materials the professional development all of that needs to be customized and based on the student populations that we serve so equal is not equitable and we need to level the playing field if you will some students are going to need more resources than others and that is what an evidence-based model does it looks at really good research-based practices that first and foremost are good for all kids but it also recognizes that not all kids learn in the same way and that not all kids have the same needs you're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and we're talking about the inequality of school funding in Illinois. My guests are uh, Carmen Ayala, superintendent of Berwyn North School District 98, Kelly King, who is an instructional technology specialist at Riverside School District 96, and Ashley McCall, who's a third grade bilingual teacher in Chicago at Cesar Chavez Elementary School. Um, Ashley brought this uh, you brought this up at the at a moment ago that the model that the things that you're talking about this evidence-based modeling uh, does not uh, take money away from existing school districts that's frankly a lot of what some parents in affluent school districts worry about we have great schools we don't want to do anything that's going to take away from our schools but then you're talking about a lot of money if you have to add to a system that's already you know one of the costliest things that we do uh, how do you do that without shifting resources around and, and, and how do you, and how do you get lawmakers to agree on that <laughs> and if it were easy it would have been already been done but <laughs> I, I mean Ashley how do you how do you reassure parents that you can do this. Right. Well, I think Dr. Ayala did a great job of explaining the evidence-based model. And what that will accomplish is that each school, each district will have its own adequacy target. What does it take for each student in that district to be successful? Um, we know, because research tells us, that our students in um, our more impoverished di districts are going to need more. So what that means is the targets will be different for different schools. Whatever 100% is for that district that's what we're going to try to achieve. Now, no money will be taken away from districts that are already receiving X amount of dollars, but that would mean that new money that starts to come out of this distribution model will first go to those students in those higher need districts. So we're not taking anything away, but as moving forward, we would start to distribute that money in a more equitable way because we know that those students with the highest needs need the most. And so and my message to families that are concerned about, hey, I, I want my kid to have the best education. We've already got these great schools is to remember that all families want their kids to have the best education. And we're just trying to to doctor to reiterate Dr. Alice's point, even the playing field um, and give all of those students a fair shake as well. But now there's there will be a trust issue, I think, for parents. Uh, uh, and maybe you want to address this, Kelly, the the. Um, Parents, I mean, it's who measures that, you know, who who decides what those requirements are and that what is adequate. I mean, for example, you know, it's like sort of like having a ruler. You know, a ruler is supposed to be 12 inches. If I decide that uh, 12 inches, you know, that an inch is slightly smaller than, you know, what it should be, who who's going to argue with me? I mean, how do you how do you keep the standards 
right and police them. I think that's what's so important about the evidence-based model is that the amount of research that has gone into it and those 27 factors, because everybody says we want a high-quality education for our kids and we want a great education for our kids, but what the EBM does is it puts true research and value behind that because we can all say we want great education for our students, but what that really means in research-based terms are those 27 components of the EBM. And then, like Ashley spoke to, finding that adequacy target within each school district based on those 27 research-based models, um, I think that can give parents something to fall back on that it has been so well-researched and that each individual district is receiving their own adequacy target. We're not just across the board saying that there's one dollar amount that it costs to educate a child that lives in Illinois. Dr. Ayala, how much input will local parents, local communities have in seeing how these things are drawn up? Both um, ladies mentioned the 27 components of the evidence-based model, um, and those will be selected purely at a local level. So, for example, one of the uh, components speaks to putting in place all-day kindergarten. So a local school district would evaluate the feasibility of being able to do that because that would mean if they have a half-day model, they have double the number of teachers and they're going to need double the number of classrooms. And so if they're in a landlocked situation, in a crowded situation, that component may not be readily feasible for that district. And so there will have to be an evaluation by each district on each of those components to see which would be the best one for the district at that particular point in time, and then to develop a plan to work towards getting to more of those components that are research-based. So in terms of the flexibility of local control, it is definitely contained in the model. Um, let's get to one other part of this, and that is uh, the money. Uh, this is where these things all tend to fall down, unfortunately. But it will take more money, and it's got to come from somewhere. And parents who say they want the best education for their children will also say, don't raise my taxes. Don't, you know, don't make me pay more for uh, goods uh, that I might buy. So how do you cross that threshold and, and convince people that they have to provide more money? I don't know that I could sit here and give you the, the million-dollar answer to that question, but what I can tell you is that we have to fix the current public school funding formula. Our children's education and the quality of that education is at stake. So whatever it takes, something has to change, something has to be done. And now is, I mean, now is the time. It's more important today than ever before. But, you know, if, if, if we had a dollar for every uh, plan to change the school funding formula that has been drafted, and I've only been in this state for 34 years, um, and I've seen, if, if, if we had a dollar for every plan I've seen, you probably could solve the school, dis you know, the school funding problem. Uh, what will persuade lawmakers and the public things have gotten to the point where it has to change. They haven't been convinced yet. They, 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 they're convinced there's a problem, but they just haven't been convinced that the solution involves more money. 
But I think the bipartisan support that we are seeing and the collective conversations that are, are occurring in the General Assembly is a very positive sign that I think our legislators and our representatives, they're getting the message that the public is very concerned about this inequitable situation in Illinois. And so the fact that they are moving some bills through and that positive things are beginning to happen is a good sign that maybe now we will uh, finally get to a better funding formula for Illinois students. Um, Kelly King, uh, the uh, in Riverside, where you do have a, a comfortable you know, population there, what are you seeing among the public that gives you hope that you will get the kind of support that you need? I think that um, Ashley spoke to this earlier, that parents in all districts want the best for their kids. And I think when you start to have conversations across districts, whether they're more affluent or less affluent, I think when we raise the stakes of the quality of education and just preparing these children to be our future leaders and our future in Illinois, I think you're going to find that many communities will get on board. And I think the big push in more affluent districts is to truly understand that no money is being taken away because um, that would be a sticking point in many areas, but no money is being taken from any school district. Um, Carmen Ayala, can you uh, briefly let us know what, what there are two bills moving uh, I know one is Senate Bill One, but uh, what are these? What would these bills do? And what's what's one of them is in the, is a House bill, and one is a Senate bill. Mm-hmm. Um, well, one of them mir- they both mirror the basic principles of each other, and that is to get at adequacy and equitable uh, equitableness for students. Um, under twenty eight oh eight, no school district will lose current dollars that they are receiving for public education. And as Ashley mentioned earlier, it's really about the distribution of dollars based upon a more equitable uh, way of funding public education so that our students who are at most risk will receive the additional resources that are needed. And at the same time, building up adequacy, you know, and, and really getting on par with respect to what public education costs today. Um, currently, the state of Illinois guarantees $6,119, I believe, per child. And in the past, they have prorated these amounts, so schools never really got the full $6,000. Uh, we did this year, and so that certainly needs to continue. Um, but $6,119 to educate a child for an entire school year simply is not enough. Um, and that That's needs more to be addressed. Number. I don't know what that realistic number would be. Um, I've seen some figures in research, 10, 12,000 per child uh, with technology today, with the resources that are needed today, um, the professional development that is needed today. I think those are more realistic numbers, but $6,000 per child is really a very poor way of saying we value our children in Illinois. Um. We only have a couple of minutes left, uh, but uh, I want to ask one question of of our community organizer. Uh, what can parents who are interested do now to find out what's going on, to, to, to know and understand uh, what's going on with the situation? Um, well, we have, I think we're down to seven days left in this legislative session, and so 
um, families, teachers, everyone can make calls to the representatives to urge them to um, say it, get their legislators to say yes to House Bill 2808, which Dr. Ayala just talked about. Um, we we can't wait. And so we want to get as many people on the phone with their representatives, letters to the representatives, tweeting at the representatives to let them know that their students matter right now, their children matter right now, and that we cannot wait any longer. This is something that can be fixed. Um, there have been many, many bills that have come before this one. But what's different about House Bill 2808 is that it's a win for everyone. All legislators can vote yes because no districts lose. This is a win for everyone Families should know that. Legislators should know that. And this needs to get fixed right now, this session. Have you got enough uh, enough sponsors and uh, on that you're, how confident are you, uh, Carmen Ayala? We've got about half a minute left, but how confident are you that this will get through? And the House well, has been the problem lately. Well, I think we've got two. We've got a House bill and we've got a Senate bill. And they both guarantee that no one loses money. And so when we have both House and Senate agreeing on something as important as not, no school district will lose money, I think it's got a very good chance of passing. We still need to stay behind it and keep trying to make that message known. We need to fix the formula for public school in Illinois. Well, thank you, all three of you. That was uh, Dr. Carmen Ayala, superintendent of Berwyn District 98. Uh, and Ashley McCall of Chicago Cesar Chavez Elementary School, and Kelly King with Riverside District 96. I've very much enjoyed having all three of you here. Uh, to our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That is www.cbschicago.com. You can also find our podcasts on play.it. I will be back next week with another edition of Ad Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. T Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus ATT and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.